0: Welcome into Two Foreign Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two Foreign Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. I'm here with Mike Renner, ready to rip it up here on a Monday. Gotta talk Stafford, Goff. Big blockbuster trade where the Detroit Lions received two first-round picks and Jared Goff to dump Matthew Stafford over to the Los Angeles Rams. What is the fallout there? We're also going to look at the risers and fallers from the 2021 Reese's Senior Bowl. And then to finish off, Azizo Julari interview, baby. Talk to Azizo Julari, the edge defender from Georgia. Funny dude, man. The, the, the interview is hilarious. We like laugh the entire time. Make fun of uh, some of the guys he's gone up against this year. Talk about, you know, his comparisons to Yikengakwe, Gakwe. Uh, his de- defense there at Georgia. A lot of fun with Azizo Julari. Let's get it. We have to address the elephant in the room here. If you're watching on YouTube, you look like a freaking member of NSYNC over there. You got? Look, can we show the? Look, look at this guy. He's got a freaking nice Nike sweater. It looks like you just bought it an hour ago. I Meanwhile, said he. It looks like he has a Nike deal because he's you got might have a Nike. Here, do you have a Nike deal? He's I got wish. Nike sweats, that's like the Nike shoes. we for here. Oh, he's got the Nike These sweats and the Nike shoes. Man, oh that's okay, never mind. Nice dude, you're looking good. And then you pan to me. Yeah. I got the homeless T-shirt. I think I, more more I bought Comparison. This is not I objectively
1: have bad style and this is i need help i mean i don't even think i would even qualify it as a style like you're just not even trying to yeah work.
0: it's low effort
1: yeah. it really is low effort i'm gonna get better today is the day where i get better either way
0: we say we're gonna open up the podcast the first with, day of the rest of your life first day, this day is the first day of the rest of my life we said we're gonna open up the podcast with stories people have been asking for stories personal stories and this is the one that won you're gonna tell your arrest story on wednesday sure. i will tell the 21st Legend birthday arresting. story. With my dad now, so the only strip club I've ever been to was in Vegas, and it was on my 21st birthday. But I also, in that same weekend, got kicked out of Treasure Island for life. If you don't know what, Las- if you've never been to Las Vegas, Treasure Islands is a hotel in Las Vegas. How it happened was, in Vegas, it's open container as long as you're not uh, carrying glass. So you could have, you know, tequila and a solo cup and walk around Vegas all day long, drinking pretty heavily. But at this point in time, we're leaving Treasure Island to go grab dinner or something. And uh, I'm probably at like a six on a scale to 10 of drunk. So I'm not even that drunk. It's like, it's, I'm, I'm feeling, feet aren't I'm feeling good. You. Yeah. But you're in that mode where like your friends are like peer pressuring you. And if you haven't been to Vegas, the number one reason why Vegas is as fun as it is, I think that the peer pressure just hits, man. If someone's like, you should do this. It's like, yeah, you're right. It's Vegas. I have to do this. So they say, hey, you they should have, like, jump whole on. a marketing campaign. Exactly. The, yeah. it's, it, what, what happened to Vegas stays in Vegas. So... My friends are like, Hey, you got to jump on this conveyor belt that takes the luggage up. It'd be hilarious. And like my drunk ass, like, yeah, that sounds awesome. That sounds hilarious. I jump on, it takes me into the building. I'm on there for a minute, maybe a minute. And... Um, I'm like, okay, this is lame. And it wasn't even, man, probably like 45 seconds. This is lame. I jump off. I'm walking out. I get tackled by two dudes. Two like guys, security guys tackle me at Trezor Island. They carry me into this weird ass room in the back. And they're like, hey, man, what the hell are you doing? You know, this is a felony. I was like, dude, I literally just jumped on the side. I didn't touch anything. You got cameras. You can see I didn't steal anything. And they're like, what room are you in? And my parents booked a room for me. So I, and I was like, okay, his last name is Gail. And, like, nope, don't see it. And I was like, no, I swear, we're staying at Treasure Island. Maybe it was my stepmom's last name, is Bennett. Is it Bennett? And, they're like, no, you're lying. You're a lying piece of shit. If you were staying here, we'd let it go, but now you're banned from Treasure Island for life. They took a mugshot, dude. <laughs> I, like, stood there. I'm, like, staying there, like, drunk, cross eyed. And they're like, you're you're banned from Treasure Island for life. If we ever see you on cameras in here again, it's like a trespassing crime or some crazy yeah. shit. And uh, I, like, too. take on my dumbass face, take the picture. I leave. I meet back up with my buddies. Um, I told him, yeah, we're banned for life. We can't stay in Treasure Island. We're not booking another hotel. It's one night left in Vegas. Let's go to the strip club all night. We go, we go to a, a regular club till three. And then from three to like eight, we're at the strip club, 3am to 8am. But we can't go to the strip club without my dad. My dad's the the money man here. My dad has the, the cash to let it roll for that long. So he in the process before this, has drank so much to where he's just consistently either blacked out or passed out. And when he yeah. passes out, he pees himself. So the guy's just peeing all over the hotel. It's a disaster. But oh, we go no. wake him up. Well, I can't go in there. My friends go wake him up. They say, hey, man, we got to go to the strip club. He's like, yeah, yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. Comes downstairs. I, I, I We get a limo. So if you haven't been to Vegas before... If you want a limo to the strip club, they're free. I mean, anyone, anyone will give you a free limo to the strip club. The limo says, hey, come on inside. There's a bottle of champagne back there. Let's run it. My dad gets in there, and there's this other guy already in there. He's going on his way to the strip club. And... My dad is a very angry person, and my dad thinks he's laughing at him, which maybe he is, but we're all telling jokes regardless. It's a common theme. It's a common theme. He thinks he's laughing. Maybe he hates you for the same yeah. reason. He says, and his big thing when he was drunk, he was just kept on saying he was going to bite someone's face off. He's telling this guy he's going to bite his face off. He's still laughing. We end up having to hold him back in the limo. Finally get to the freaking um, strip club. We get in. I don't remember how much it is a person. Maybe it's like 40 bucks a person. My dad just pays for everybody, me and my four friends. And then they like, they pay it everybody. Everyone to come in. My the, there there's like this. Like I would call her the lead stripper. She comes over, sees that my dad's paying for everybody, and she like instantly grabs him by the hand. And is like, hey, you're coming to the back. You obviously yeah. have the big cheddar there. We end up you know going to the strip club, doing strip club things. My dad ends up calling me to the back room. Say, hey, you gotta come back here. Hey, you got to come back here. I go back there. And he's like, I want you to meet your new stepmom. And he's like telling her that he wants to marry her and all this crazy shit, dude. It is hilarious. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? She's obviously just playing you for money. All this stuff. My dad ends up paying like like thousands of dollars just to hang out with this one stripper all night. And then gets his thumbprint, all that stuff. We finally head back. thumbprint, the Gilbert Arenas. I, I wasn't able to get my car at Treasure Island because I couldn't walk there. So they had to grab my car and then my, di- my, par- my friends end up tying my dad up in sheets outside of the hotel because we couldn't get him into the hotel room. And then he wakes up like tied up in sheets with people taking selfies with him. It was, it was an insane trip, dude. And I, it's not even all the details I can say. It was an absolute insane trip. My dad never forgets it because he woke up literally like with his face in a sheet just like, help me. It's it so funny. Well, the part that you really glossed over is the mugshot. Do you have a copy of the mugshot? I mug don't shot? have the mugshot. No. They didn't give me one.
1: That would have been sick if they did. It's probably just like, I think they'd use like facial recognition features. Yeah, on yeah. cameras and they'll just I'm like- tempted
0: to go there and try and get it. We should reach out to him. I'll try and make a play. Reach out to him from the main account. Be like, hey, do you have...
1: <laughs> this is PFF. Yeah. Do you have Austin's mugshot? The,
0: the sum of it is my dad goes harder than all of you. Okay? If you think you can drink him under the table, it's just not true. He'll drink till he dies. It's 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 absurd. And that's not even involving other drugs. Like, he'll do other drugs as well. All right. Let's go ahead and talk now a little Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff trade. A good transition. Yes. A good transition. Talk about a blockbuster. I saw this you know Saturday night. like I couldn't believe it. I was absurd. Yeah. So Matthew Stafford is traded to the Los Angeles Rams, Sean McVay and the Los Angeles Rams, in exchange for two first-round picks and Jared Goff. The, the obvious question is, did the Los Angeles Rams overpay for Matthew Stafford?
1: I think so. Some some of it's because, I don't know, everyone's like, to get rid of the Jared Goff contract, yeah, they wanted to get rid of Jared Goff. They don't like Jared Goff there. But I, I don't, all of a sudden, I'm not of the opinion that all of a sudden, Matthew Stafford's going to look like Aaron Rodgers did this year. You know, like everyone said, oh put a real quarterback in the McVay Shanahan whatever offense Jared Goff at his peak was pretty damn good like Mm -hmm. when he was on like he has a pretty darn good arm in his own right Matt Stafford has had talent around him at times like it's not like he's not ever had you know great defenses usually that's kind of been the theme over the course of his career but he had an offense with was like Golden Tate and Calvin Johnson as his number one and number two receivers it's a pretty darn like good weapons to have for a quarterback so I I'm not, I don't think he's all of a sudden going to just going to unlock some untapped potential, but I do think he is a step up over Jared Goff. Absolutely. And you're a team that has already gone all in. You know, They're already the Saints. They've already given up five four straight, straight first-rounders now. Now it's going to be seven straight first-rounders that they've given up. So you've already mortgaged everything to try to win that one Super Bowl right now, right here now, in the next couple years. So why not? Like, yeah. That's going to be an incremental change that you're not going to be able to get a quarterback like Stafford else otherwise so mm-hmm. they're all in the the obvious is that Matthew Stafford is an
0: improvement over Jared Goff it's the level of improvement is where like the cost starts to come into a factor so what does an improved Matthew Stafford say he is improved in Sean McVay's system because I think no one's arguing that he'll play better football with the Los Angeles Rams and Sean McVay but what is his ceiling of improvement like you said it's not going to be Aaron Rodgers is he a top five quarterback in this in this offense is he top is he top eight where does Matthew Stafford with this improvement, even land even land?
1: I think he's gonna be, yeah, eight, eight to twelve. I think it's about where he ends up. And end that's where I feel like it's not worth it. If you're making a trade. But well, golf really had like bottomed out. Something had gone wrong there with him where he was not good this past
0: year. I think year. the relationship was also yeah. not good. And yeah. that was evident in how kind of that was handled.
1: Shot what them. what what are the Detroit Lions doing? What's your opinion of the Lions and the decision they made? That's the thing, is from the Lions' perspective, this is about as big a home run as you can get. Yes. Not only do you have two first rounders, I think you didn't want the first rounders this upcoming draft. Like, you want them in the future.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: As much as people discount future picks in the NFL and that they're worth less, to me, in the Lions situation right now, you want to suck in 2021. Yeah. Like, you don't want to be good because that's how you end up getting your franchise quarterback and rebuilding because it's just, you don't have, there's not a lot of talent there. There just simply isn't a lot of talent there. You're not going to be good. So, you don't want that guy to make an impact right now. You want that cheap talent to be two, three years down the road that you can build. Upon then, that's going to be your window if you're the Detroit Lions. So I love this deal from their perspective. And also, you have that kind of like window of, hey, if things bottom out in L.A., not that, you know, it doesn't look especially likely. It's still a very talented roster, and they have Matt Stafford quarterback. But if things don't go well, that could be a top 10 pick. You're not stuck with the 25th pick, which is what the Rams gave the Jaguars this year. You could get a higher pick than that. It could turn out in something really kind of like the Texans situation with the Dolphins now.
0: How do you think this move affects their decision at number seven this year?
1: That's a good question.
0: Uh, I think it because they were mocked quarterback. We we did the mock drafts episode yeah. last week. They've been mocked. They're being mocked quarterbacks by Daniel Jeremiah, Dane Brugler, I, I, Steve Palazzolo. But are do you think they're going to still go quarterback even with Jared Goff? On the I country? bet they
1: don't. Yeah, I don't think. I so will either. bet they won't go quarterback. And if I am them, and you got three guys off the board, I, I wouldn't blame them for not going quarterback mm-hmm. because, like I said wherever you go, it's not going to be good. You're going to be, even if, say, it's Trey Lance, the fourth guy there. Trey Lance, you hit, you get him, he's probably not going to start. He's raw, he start Jared Goff. Best case scenario, like just with objectively looking at that roster right now, best case scenario, drafting 10th is, is, I think, the best they end up next yeah. year. Worst case scenario, more likely scenario, you're probably drafting higher than you were right now and you have another first rounder next year to where, hey, I'm drafting 5-6, I can make that play up to number two, make that play up to number one if one of those teams doesn't need a quarterback.
0: Last piece here on the stafford golf trade is how do you think this deal, if at all, affects the Deshaun Watson trade that could be happening here soon? How, how, how does it affect his value? Because I, I said it as soon floor. as it happened. If Stafford is getting traded for two first round picks, yeah. th- this is a bigger conversation. I think there was a report that said the Houston Texans are looking for two first round picks, Two second round picks and two defensive starters is what this report was. Obviously, that's probably coming from the Houston's brass, and they're trying to inflate this deal. But, like, even if it is two first round picks, two second round picks, and a player, I think it, it that's a lot.
1: Yeah, I don't see it. It's going to be a lot, is what it is. And, and honestly, I don't think it gets done. If I had put a gun in my head right now, I don't think they trade him. Wow. I think they call his bluff and say, hey, if you're not going to come back, you're not going to come back. Whatever. We're like, we're not going to be held hostage by a player who's on a contract with us, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's going to end up happening with. The decision makers in place there and just how much it's going to take again like how much you would reasonably take for a quarterback that good like I said if two first rounders and a second rounder is what it takes for Matt Stafford and obviously the golf contract is part of that but like Deshaun Watson's contract is more so like the cap space hit that you're taking on is more even though you're going to want to keep Deshaun Watson in that case it's going to be like four first-rounders mm-hmm. at least. So, I
0: mean, that trade package that was outlined, two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and two players, the only team where I feel like I want to have the conversation is Miami. Miami has two first-round picks this year.
1: Yeah. Obviously, Well, I know. mean, you have to have an extra first-round. Yeah. You can do four. You can only trade three years out anyway. That's true.
0: But in addition to that, I think that their, their roster, compared to New York, who also has two first-round picks this year, yeah. is a way better place to like actually compete with Deshaun Watson in 2021. While if New York, like that roster is still not great. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're still going to need a lot of help there. And I think that's why you've talked about it as well. They should go quarterback. They yeah. should go quarterback, leverage that jackpot that is a rookie quarterback on a rookie deal instead of going to Deshaun Watson thing because I don't think they're ready to shoot the moon. Miami might be ready to shoot the moon. Hey, let's, wait, let's wager it all. Let's get Deshaun Watson. we got Brian Flores, a good, well-coached defense, some young players there. Let's try and get it. New York I think they're better off trying to rebuild this thing a little bit slower and not, and not jump at this opportunity all right jumping now to speaking of opportunities to jump jumping now to risers and fallers from the senior bowl we did a decent amount of senior bowl coverage during the week but we really didn't want to have major takeaways until we reviewed the all 22 both from the game and from the practices because I feel like it's easy a couple routes a couple one-on-ones oh, you haven't seen football in a winner. while it's tough man it's tough I not saw to like super three excited.
1: Jamie Newman throws the first day and I was like I'm Mac. <laughs> and then he looked like shit the rest of the week. So. Yeah. So let's go ahead and go. We're going to go position
0: by position, riser follower. I also added some some honorable mentions here. Maybe not risers, but like guys who played really well. And, you know, that's a good sign for their stock. Quarterback, I mean Kellen they Mond. still roast.
1: Like they're they still roast. just highlighting the biggest risers. Yeah, racer. biggest
0: risers. Excuse me. Quarterback riser, Kellen Mond.
1: Yeah. It wasn't a great like Mac Jones was fine. If he went there It'd be tough to rise with his current position. I was gonna say he went there, thought of kind of as that. fringe first round or like if some of you are desperate, take him in the first round and I don't think he was anything It didn't look like anything special there and I don't think he looked necessarily bad there either. Like it was just kind of solid quarterback play the kind of like just you weren't expecting high end play and you didn't necessarily deliver at high end play so his stock didn't really move but Kel to me I thought looked just kind of the most steady throughout the week and then made some real deal NFL throws in the actual game itself. Like when the chips were kind of down, you could actually get hit Mm -hmm. in practice. He looked the best of the bunch. He had a 91.5 passing rate in the game, had the most big time throws in the practices, the live sessions of the practice throughout the week. I I thought his ability to work the middle of the field was the most impressive of any quarterback in attendance. Now, the rest of his game, I'm still not completely sold on, but I went in with a low opinion on Calamond as why he would be a riser to me. I I still think Third round's probably a little rich, but I could see him then coming off the board after what he did there, somewhere in that third, fourth range. Faller, you have listed here Jamie Newman of Georgia,
0: but he wore the Wake Forest helmet all week. I don't think yeah. he ever got his Georgia helmet because he transferred and then obviously opted out for the 2020 season. The game was bad. What, took five sacks? It, bad. it, it was bad. It was hard to watch almost. And I think, but how much, before you talk about his, how, how, he was a faller this week, obviously didn't perform well. How much of this, so it's just him having to knock rust off, like having to... Having to like
1: come back to football this way, I feel like had to have been insane. That's what I was saying. I think last week, I don't know when I said it, but Newman has to, like the biggest regret of any opt out has to be Jamie Newman of Man, anyone because that sucks. yeah, and he because, probably. I mean, he did it for the right reasons. Like you hear him talk about
0: why he opted yeah. out and the health concerns and yeah. all that stuff. Like it makes sense, but like it just it's unfortunate. I think someone reached out to me recently and said, "Hey, how can you have in the draft guide a con?" That a guy is opting out of the season, like it's not that's not his fault. But the con, the con is the realism. Yeah, it, yeah. It, the con is you didn't see him play. It's just like getting hurt. It's not a con that he his he got hurt. It's a con that we just didn't get to see him play as much. Yeah. You know, And there's obviously some ties to like re-injury risk and stuff like that. Yeah. But with opting out, it's like the con is the fact that you just didn't get to see
1: see him play football. And his reasoning was obviously valid, but it's just unfortunate the situation we're in. And especially when it's a position like quarterback, where quarterback is a perform like you're performing it's not like a one it's not like a skill you can develop necessarily on your own like reading a defense you're not gonna you're not gonna align 22 guys when you're at exos you know True. training all fall you're just not gonna have that sort of situation so uh, that to me him showing up there looking rusty it, it was never gonna it was never gonna look good but it was even worse necessarily than I even thought. Like I said, he had six turnover where he plays in practice. That was usually the most of any quarterback in attendance and then the lowest grade in the game as well.
0: I mean, and just also late, you have to think late. about the defense. The defense
1: only can play cover one, cover two, exactly. or cover three. That's the thing. It's like, it's not super complicated. You should be getting, should be quick. Mm-hmm. You should be at least quick, and he was not. That's tough, man. That's tough.
0: Unfortunate for Jamie Noon. Jumping to running back, there's an obvious answer here. I don't even know if he plays running back in the NFL, but Demetric Felton, UCLA wide receiver, raving about him, obviously looked really, really good in the one-on-ones, made that quick transition to playing running back, dropping some weight, playing receiver, and looking good, specifically against press coverage. And people forget he was a former four-star wide receiver. He was a four-star wideout and went to UCLA, played wide receiver mostly in the slot in 2018, and has played running backs over three hundred played running back over three hundred snaps in each of the 2019 and 2020 seasons in the backfield. But I love that he's making this transition back to being this kind of slot receiver type. I don't know if it's necessarily going to boost him into like high day two, but I still feel really confident about him as a round three, round four player.
1: Yeah, I think that's the thing is that he showed up 189 pounds. Basically saying I'm not a running back Yes, anymore. you're not going to play running back in the They NFL. still
0: gave him I'm some the snaps match. there
1: though. They which did, is but nice. like he came and said I'm a wide receiver, and honestly looked pretty good. Like if we're just comparing him to wide receivers, he had the fifth highest grade in the one on ones of any wide receiver. That's awesome. And was, I mean, one winning at all levels of the field. I think he had the second highest top speed of any guy with their whatever tracking chips they use there. I don't know how that works, but he had the second highest one. So it's always a good thing to be on the higher end of that. They inject so, them. And he's shifty as can be, man. Like his suddenness in his routes and getting off the line of scrimmage was very impressive. And so I think he can be kind of that – if you're if you're a creative office coordinator and you have a role where a guy alternates in terms of like jet sweeps, slot, backfield, that sort of thing, he can be that. If we're talking about just – in terms of compared to the slot receivers. I still believe, though, he's like, if you just want to play him as a slot receiver, I think he's one of the better ones in this class from what we've seen from him.
0: Yeah. I was watching a lot of Elijah Moore before the podcast. I really do like him as a slot type, too. That's another slot receiver
1: I like in this class. He's, yeah, he's awesome. All
0: right, wide receiver, riser, Kate Johnson, the South Dakota oh, yeah, State no, And no faller
1: for running back. No, oh, yeah, sorry, like, sorry. Like, running back almost is never a running How can you fall at the senior ball as a running back? That's very you, difficult. You don't do anything.
0: Wide receiver, Kate Johnson, South Dakota State. I think he had one of the highest win rates in the one-on-ones, okay. and I have two honorable mentions here. Josh Palmer and Amari Rogers. I had both those guys impressed yeah. me more than I thought they would going in.
1: I will say there was no guy who last year it was the guy. KJ Hill. KJ Mims, Hill was. Mims and Hill. Yeah. Or just Mims Denzel Mims and KJ. Uh, why does KJ Hill not sound right to me? KJ Hill. I think okay. it's KJ Hill. Yeah. Uh I say wide receiver. They were just like different. Their own class. Two years ago, Terry McLaurin, Debo Samuel, both those guys just like didn't lose. No one like that, I don't think, in this year's class, where it's just like, damn, they're putting on a clinic. I don't think any of the guys rose to that level of impressiveness. K. Johnson, to me, though, legitimate speed. Like, really popped off the tape the way he could get off the line of scrimmage and then just get down the football field. A guy who's undersized is going to need to be, I think he's 186 pounds, is going to need that... To be part of his repertoire, but he ended up, like you said, the highest grade of any guy in the one-on-ones so far uh, over the course of the week.
0: Yeah, he looks really good. That's another guy too that I think in the slot, though, right? I don't see him as an outside guy. He's a little bit smaller. Um, But Josh Palmer too, though. I thought he got off press really well. I thought when he could get in a straight line, he looked fast. Amari Rogers, I was having multiple, you know, doing multiple radio hits about the Senior Bowl. I kept on saying like, this is a guy that in the slot again, you feel really confident about his hands. You feel confident about him, you know, winning at the intermediate level, short and intermediate levels, and I do think that's an undervalued piece of an offense right now. Finding a legitimate slot receiver that consistently creates separation. I mean, this is a league where two years ago, Seth Roberts was like starting for NFL teams in the slot. Like you're not getting plus production from your slot receiver if he's not a guy that
1: can create separation, that can move the chains consistently. I still say, man, Amari Rodgers, 5'9", 211. Someone put him at running back. Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. Faller, Sage Surratt,
0: the Wake Forest kid. I mean, Chaz Surratt didn't look all that good either, to be honest. And he came in with 30-inch
1: arms. Both the Surratt brothers did not show up to Mobile uh, as expected. Man, how much does Chaz hate Sage? Because Chaz Surratt, 30-inch arms. Sage, 32-inch arms. That's got to be tough. They're playing the wrong positions for that size difference. But Sage, (laughs) it's not fast, man. He's just not fast. And not jittery. He's not quick. Not shifty. Not fast. Contest catch only kind of guy very good in those situations it's not something I'm gonna like bank on as a as what you're relying at the NFL level though uh I, I just thought maybe he came back and you know that's all he knew he knew that was his biggest weakness that's all he knew he had to do all fall was gain a little speed get a little more juice showed up and still could not stack guys on any vertical route so sadly Sage is kind of a one trick pony and that trick is not the most valuable of tricks tight
0: end riser here is trey mckitty the georgia tight end he won 67 percent of his one-on-ones he was he also had that nice one-handed yeah. snag and a team drill
1: for mac good Jones. really good hands yeah the most catches actually throughout the practices over the course of the week i think just solid like none of the tight ends were i, I thought this is bad to say like last year's tight end class honestly looked more impressive in the one-on-ones than this year's tight end class and that's probably end fair pretty rough
0: the best guy there is probably Hunter Long, and Hunter yeah. Long's not a guy that's like a legit separator that's no. going to impress him one-on-ones. Where Hunter Long impresses is when he's like in, in between two linebackers in zone and just like comes down with it. Yeah. Like he is, he is not built for one-on-ones. And um, the follower you have listed here is the Ole Miss kid that I think a lot of people like, Kenny Yeboah, but did not, did not have like a ton of success in one-on-ones. I thought that's people expected him to come in and dominate. That's
1: what he had to do because he's not a blocker. 6'3", 247. He is not, it's not going to be his game. He has to be, if he's going to be a starter for an NFL team, he has to be a pure separator. And he has good ball skills. He made a heck of a catch in the actual game itself where he went up and got it. But in terms of getting open, that, that sort of, the shiftiness, the explosiveness it takes, he was not getting open. Great, I didn't think of the one-on-ones. All right, jumping now to offensive tackle, Dylan Redon's big
0: riser, man. He looks really good. I mean, he awesome. was and he was kicked in the garden, looked really good. I, I think Dylan Redon's...
1: Uh, move the needle Darren in Mobile. He was the best lineman in sentence. It's, like, not even really a debate in my mind. Like, he was excellent. I was very surprised. Was not terribly high on him going in. I, I thought, like, he still had a good deal of losses on his tape going up against, you know, FCS competition. Like, I, I ex- expect a guy at FCS competition, you don't expect, like, any him to ever lose. Like, he should just be winning left and right. But obviously, that was a year ago. Only one game this year. He did look excellent in that one game. Didn't really uh, get taken advantage of at all. And then goes to the senior bowl. And, man, he's 304 pounds. It's on the lighter end. But his like core strength is insane. No one was going through that guy at all the whole week. He was, like I said, the best offensive lineman in attendance. Really he never looked like think he was he could go in the out first of
0: balance. Like yeah. He was consistently upright, consistently keeping guys in front of him. I think it he was... could go in the first. Honorable mention here. I added this guy, James Hudson, Cincinnati. I thought he had really good feet there in Mobile. He handled speed really well. I I thought Hudson looked really good as well. Not 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 sneaking into the first round anytime soon, but for a former defensive lineman, he was a former defensive tackle recruit from Michigan who transferred to Cincinnati and played offensive tackle there and played well
1: to go to Mobile and have the success he had. I thought that was really good for his. I love Hudson. Eleven inch hands. Oh man, those are mitts. That's that translates along the offensive line when you have hands that big makes holding on to guys a lot easier anti-joe burrow hands the yeah. anti-joe burrow what
0: yeah. was the guy there was also the arkansas quarterback that had to like stretch his hands out brandon, to brandon allen yeah brandon allen another like, Bengal like legend
1: eight seven eighths to nine yeah good stretch threshold
0: uh faller that, and it, this one
1: was concerning go ahead i was gonna say they have just like when they do high fives in the Bengals quarterback room with allen. brandon
0: allen jock joe
1: burrow brutal Some,
0: uh alex leatherwood faller i mean him and i'll tease the next Faller, deontay brown both those bama guys came in and just did not look all that great quincy roche took his lunch quincy roche i'm sorry quincy roche took his lunch a handful of times he got beat by some other guys too i mean alex leatherwood did not have a ton of wins at, in the one-on-ones and I, honestly it's huge concern he didn't look as fast as he did at bama i i was definitely surprised by you know how he performed that week
1: yeah, he had the fourth lowest grade of any tackle, third lowest grade of any tackle in the one-on-ones. Excuse me, it's not good. Like that's he just kept giving up the Like same same stuff we saw against Ojulari. Same stuff we saw against Caleb Ancheson, which Just like guys with speed, he just he just flips his hips too soon and just lets him gives him, like an easy window to the quarterback. And it's like I feel like it's fixable, but at this point, he's you don't like to see him fix it. I don't know. He, he does have the length there's a lot to like he plays like really under control but man if you're gonna draft him in the first round you're expecting him to look better than that so that's not happening I don't think anymore
0: uh biggest riser and soon to be friend of the podcast I think he's coming on the pod either this week or next week is Quinn Miners Wisconsin Whitewaters Quinn Miners he had the belly out he was like pleading with I'm gonna talk to him about the story I have to bring it up He's pleading to Jim Nagy after he broke his hand and let him play in the game. I don't think he was end up end up able to play in that game. But like, man, this guy, big riser, not sneaking in the first round. I don't even think he sneaks in the second round, but you could start to consider him round three, round four
1: when he went into the week, probably like sixth round, seventh round type of guy. Oh man, yeah. He was he had some blocks in the team session where he just pancake guys like five, Dude, ten Dude, Levi yards and Wuzurike was getting hounded. Yeah, just dominant. Had some awesome one-on-ones, 150% of his one-on-ones. Pretty good win rate for a guy who has not faced NFL competition. You know, has not faced guys at this level. He was facing 275, 60-pound po- DTs there at Whitewater that are just you know, couldn't hold the candle to what he could do physically. So, yeah, he looked good. Like, Deontay Brown, kind of the opposite. I'm almost surprised that he went there and actually you know, did a full week of practice because... People were high on him after his tape at Alabama. Obviously played a ton at Alabama. And just guys who are not quick, like guys who are th- that kind of phone booth guards don't look good in one-on-ones. One-on-ones is not where you win. Mm-hmm. You win when you have help to either side of you, and you don't really need to necessarily worry about guys' speed. He had a 34.4 pass blocking Gary in practice throughout the week, 23.4 in the game. Just... <sighs> that's an issue that's not where you want to be yeah man. you're drafting him highly and i know i think he was in was it jeremiah's or brugler's top 50 and it's just like i'm not taking a guy i think it was brugler's top you're not taking a guy a guard that's that immobile struggles immobile. with speed
0: yeah. that much yeah that's that's true 50, i mean as big as he is as exciting as it is to look at him and think about him next to a guy it's like High beckton or whatever you need guys that can produce and pass protection he did not show up all right uh defensive tackle i think there's a handful of guys you could highlight as fallers here i know you have marlon two up, low to of USC, but I don't think Marvin Wilson played all that well. Levi Onwuzurike. They only invited like
1: six. Yeah, yeah. Onwuzurike, yeah. I could probably add to that. Like
0: in terms ball. of like underperforming versus expectations, like I thought Onwuzurike was going to come in and dominate. I thought Marvin Wilson was going to maybe okay. look a
1: little bit more like 2019 yeah. Wilson. But Marvin Wilson was fine though. Like he, yeah, there just wasn't a lot of defense tackle talent. There.
0: Yeah. And they played him a ton at nose, like they were playing like you're not even like they were like not even shading him sometimes, and that was kind of interesting. But uh, for the riser, Osa Adigizua, the guy who every time I bring him up, I have to mention, did his background for the draft guide. He has never lost a wrestling match in his career. He like went all the way through high school, and then like the last guy, they talked about it like it was fucking Rocky two, and it was some guy from Hawaii, I think, and he dominated, like he won again. Like and the the guy he was facing had never lost either. There was like two undefeated juggernauts, and Osa is just a monster. But uh,
1: he had a really good week. He looked really good. He's good, man. I, I he was, you know, in terms of like prior opinion versus post opinion, one of the biggest risers of any position because I think in that UCLA scheme wasn't necessarily set up to produce well as a pass rusher. Like, it, it, he ran at least a lot earlier in his career and some this past season, a lot of, like, four-point stance head-up over offensive tackle and then, like, three-man rush. That's just, like, that's... you're not gonna create a lot of pressures doing that. And then he goes to the Senior Bowl, highest grade of any defense tackle in the one-on-ones, 93.7 pass rushing grade in the game. He is an ox, even though he's, like, 280 pounds. He might be the most stout of the defensive tackles there in attendance terms of like his lower half, and he was on actually Bruce Feldman's freaks list I think a couple of years ago because he squats like seven hundred fifty pounds. Like, his, yeah, yeah, his he's like, a monster. Legs are just. Insane. He's also
0: the brother of former what giant edge defender
1: yeah. Owa Digizua, he's a third rounder uh, back in like what fifteen. I liked Owa coming out too, though. They're he's a da- much different player, though. like just the way they play. I mean, I they're think not playing the same position. Two two eighty that's usually well in the small end i think he's going to hold up defense tackle like no no problem i'm big fan of his game nice so, so. uh and then we talked about the fall all on tweet uh tweet probably like a second rounder at this point oh so
0: oh really that wow yeah. that's
1: a pretty decent rise yeah love to see that
0: all right uh edge defender this guy you know watching the one on ones back on on huddle he every single time you saw his helmet he had the the white two lane helmet he was dominating like he was winning every single time cam sample highest grade and win rate of any defensive lineman there in the one on ones but the concern is he's still he's on the lighter side
1: yeah so he's kind of still like a tweener like he's 278 he came in at 63 278 and a lot of his wins were from the interior when and you're he,
0: not in that phone booth, like you said with Deontay Brown, because Ellerson exactly. Smith too, the uh, the other UNI guy that was there was Spencer Brown. They played him on the interior ton, even though he's a little bit thinner, and he had a ton of wins too. But when you're going against guys that don't have that speed, and you're you're leaving them literally one on one, you you see more wins that way. And but, it's a big reason why I think they played him inside anyway. But
1: still, samples like that guy is well built for 274. Like he does not have a lot of fat on his frame at that size. Uh, and he's graded out really well, of course, his two-lane career. So that, I don't I don't think it's a fluke. Like, I think he could be your base end slash interior rusher and, like, actually, there's a few guys that fall into that sort of category that were there. And I think I, by the end of the week, I think he was the best one. Guys like Chauncey Golston from Iowa. I, I think by the end of the week, I'd rather have Sample over any of the other ones. Wow. Faller, Patrick Jones. There wasn't a
0: guy in the one-on-ones that I think looked worse than Patrick Jones. It was unfortunate to see. And yeah. honestly, he went, he went on the interior. He went on the edge. Quinn Miners put him in the dirt. He was,
1: he was having a rough week, man. He, he, he did not have a good week. People were So we weren't even that high going in. Uh, he didn't even make our top 100. Some people were calling him a borderline first-round pick heading into the week. That was not borderline first-round pick. And I think the other thing that's kind of almost hurt his stock just as much was he looked, I mean, six four. Looks long on tape. He you only know, has 32 inch arms, which is not, that's very, that's on the short end for the edge in the NFL, despite being tall. Like, that's a, those are short arms for a guy who's six foot four. And so, when like you're not executing your moves well and efficiently, like he kind of has over the course of his Pittsburgh career, sometimes it's because you don't have the length to get it done
0: linebacker biggest riser and I think everyone came away with this same take is Jabril Cox the LSU linebacker that formerly played for North Dakota State no star recruit was and so we talked about this before the senior bowl but I think we'll bring it up again the linebacker versus tight end linebacker versus running back coverage drills those one-on-ones you're not supposed to win yeah. like you're not supposed to win at linebacker but he did at
1: four forced incompletions on the week like that was he had a really really good time in the one-on-ones he was Easily. Like no one else, no other linebacker had more than one forced in completion of the one ones. And he had four. That's how like different he was. And I really like his tape at LSU, man. He's not Patrick Queen from an athleticism perspective, but he's a much more seasoned coverage defender than Patrick Queen. Uh, I I don't see any reason why he's not a second round pick at the lowest at this point. Like I'm, I'm a big fan of him the faller you have here is patty fisher and uh yeah i when mean
0: when you guys got when you got guys like that who are sticks in the mud in some ways it, it's tough to win again it's yeah. not only is it already hard but then you put them on an island like that and it's it looks a lot worse
1: yeah patty fisher he's been kind of i don't want to say hyped but like a name for a while ever since like he monster sophomore year back in 2018 for northwestern big throwback type of linebacker but he can't move like his stock is it was low to begin with, heading into the week. It's not even like he's not going to make the 250 for us here at PF. So you just can't can't do it. Can't can't put that guy in the field out in coverage. Zero percent win rate in the one on ones. The minus 7.5 grade on like eight one on ones, which is like almost a minus one every time. It's pretty bad. That's rough. It's
0: rough to see cornerback. One of your guys, Trey Brown, oh, Oklahoma. Trey Brown. He looked good, physical at the line of scrimmage. I, I mean, I think everyone was like big on Aaron Robinson going into the week, and he had some physical
1: reps where people got excited. But Trey Brown, best cornerback there in Mobile, oh, it was awesome to see. Trey Brown is not a lot of guys can hold up at five foot nine on the outside. You worry about them losing against taller wide receivers at the catch point. He had a pass breakup against Frank Darby, had a pass breakup against Nico Collins, had the most pass breakups of any. Uh, cornerbacks in the one-on-ones and had the most picks too of any cornerbacks in the one-on-ones getting picks in one-on-ones is also it's dumb I, I
0: can't believe that
1: Yeah, he, was, uh, he just he plays above his height consistently I, I think he could stick on the outside now I'm not drafting him before like end of the third mm-hmm. I'm not going to hang my hat on him being the number one cornerback still at that size but like he's solid for 5'9", 188 is a big dude at 5'9".
0: The the honorable mention that I added was Benjamin Saint Juice, who I think was a late ad, um, out of Minnesota. He's got good length, six three, two oh one, and like legit put on a show in the game and late in the practice week. I thought he showed up as well. I thought he had uh, a very, very
1: good week. What's your opinion on Saint Juice? Yes, I agree with that. I honestly I had like very limited exposure. He wasn't even in the first guide, but he was probably the second best cornerback there in the one on once. And he has that body type that you want Yeah, I yeah, exactly. Has, like a 80-plus-inch wingspan for a cornerback, which is, you know, ideal. And Faller, so he, unfortunately, Robert Rochelle. I wanted more. I wanted to see more of him because he's got one of that, like, crazy pterodactyl-esque build. It's only 5'11", but almost 32-and-a-half-inch arms. He really was a list, wasn't he? Yeah, 4'340 guy, legit makeup speed, just so sloppy, though, man. Like, he's just no technique, no all, like, no feel for the game and the position. Just he didn't win a single rep in the one-on-ones. Man. Sadly. All right, last position here, and then we'll
0: jump to the Aziz Ojulari interview. Uh Riser Richie Grant, dude. This guy's sneaking into the back of first rounds, awesome. first round mocks right now. Firmly in the second round at least.
1: Yeah. Oh, he was awesome. He was safeties every other safety there look like shit the one on ones. It's mm-hmm. like you they're not used to guarding court, wide receivers in no. man covers. They just aren't, except for Richie Grant. He looked good, also played excellently throughout the week of practices and the full team drills. Real solid dude. Like, he doesn't have any one trait that you're like, that's his best trait, but, like, can play any single position. Almost Malcolm Jenkins-esque. I hate giving guys the Malcolm Jenkins comp, but, like, that's who kind of reminds me of watching him where it's like, Malcolm Jenkins isn't the fastest, isn't the strongest, doesn't have the best, you know, wingspan, whatever, but he sees the game, and plays the game at a different level than most other safeties. That, master me, is of none. similar to Richie Grant, who's just... Dude's fucking good at football. And he had the second highest grade of any defender throughout the practice of the week.
0: Faller is none other than Florida State's Thompson Nosfer Dean, who just... He just did
1: not look fast enough. Did I not think look this quick was enough. was the biggest faller in my eyes of any guy.
0: Damn. He had the length. He had the body type. People were... I mean, I was excited about like what he yeah. weighed in at, but when he showed up in the one-on-ones, because they had him doing some cornerback stuff, and it was not good. And even in the safety one-on-ones, it was, it was
1: also ugly. Yeah, just there's no no quick twitch whatsoever. And like... I thought some of that on tape, like he never, never quite was that guy on tape. Obviously, because he doesn't have it. But like, thought some of that was just like he's a pace player. Like he plays mm-hmm. under control, brand football, doesn't miss a lot of tackles, doesn't get overextended. In the one on ones, you got to like get on your fucking horse sometimes. Yeah, and he yeah. He never. There was no horse for him to get on. He was getting on like a fucking covered wagon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Man, unfortunate for Hamilton, Naslund, and Nasaldean. that's gonna do it though for the Senior Bowl recap. Hopefully next year we do this podcast episode from Mobile, or maybe the drive back from Mobile, because I do not want to spend <sighs> another Senior Bowl here in Cincinnati. I want to be in Alabama. No. I want to be at Beats. I, I want to, to be all-
1: in a in a post of Benjamin Albright at 2 a.m. Yes, you know? that's
0: what I that's what I want. I don't ask for a lot. I just want to be in those posts. I want to be that guy. Yeah. We could be that mistake to quote um, super bad, um, but yeah, let's go ahead and jump to the Aziz Ojulari interview. PFF and Action Pro are teaming up. Subscribe to PFF's Elite Annual Subscription using promo code ACTION to receive a year of Elite Subscription access and one year, 365 days of Action Pro subscription access for just $199.99. Action Pro is Action Network's premium subscription offering tailor-made to make avid and new betters better. This is a limited-time offer that is currently only made available now through the Super Bowl. This offer only applies to first-time Elite Annual Subscribers. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But However difficult these questions may be, Western Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated Endorser, products issued by member companies of Western Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Joining the 241 Drafts podcast is Georgia Edge Defender, or I guess former Georgia Edge Defender, Aziz Ojulari, down there in Pensacola training with Exos. Great to have you on the show. Aziz, how you doing?
2: I'm doing good. How about you? Appreciate it. Doing well, man.
0: Probably not as good as you. You're out here training for the (laughs) 2021 NFL Draft, getting your body right, and coming off of an absolutely absurd performance in the bowl game. I think the Sugar Bowl against Cincinnati and you went against two very good offensive tackles, James Hudson in that game. And they think they they had their backup come in after a headbutt situation with Hudson. I think his name was Graham Metz along those lines. You really turned it on once that backup came in. Talk to me about that performance and really what, how that game unfolded because you guys had to come back and win that game against a very good Cincinnati Bearcats team.
2: Definitely. It was a very uh, competitive game. They didn't come out there. They came out there ready to play really (laughs) yeah. <laughs> battling from the start of the game. So uh just the momentum plays, that momentum play at the strip sack, that's what got us into that game, really forced the fumble, got the ball back for the offense, then went down, scored, came back again, big third down stop, stopped him. Just came back. Just once our coach let us rush, it was it was off from there. Once he just once he let us out loose off that edge, it was over with.
0: Man, and also, I mean, I do think I, you, you have to feel bad for the offensive tackle that yeah. came into that game, dude. I, I mean, let's just call it what it is. I, I, you know, P, PFF is based in Cincinnati, so we have a lot of ties with oh, okay. the University of Cincinnati and talk to them a ton. So. I'll tell you what. I had a couple texts from some beat writers when Hudson went out with the ejection. They said, "Buddy, yeah. this German kid Lorenz Metz is coming in, and it's not going to be pretty." He earned a fourteen point three pass blocking grade in that game, according to PFF. You, you took it to him. It was it was hard to watch, honestly. It was hard to watch. I am sitting at home watching the game. I was like, "Dude, disease is about to go yeah. in on this kid," and there it went. Did you did you talk to Hudson or did you talk to Metz after the game? How did how did it go after that?
2: No, nah, after the game, I haven't talked to him really. Yeah, I fair. I mean, I bet you that guy game, left yeah. pretty quickly.
0: I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, been- <laughs> <laughs> so I, another thing I noticed about your tape too, and I think you know something I talk about with Mike, my co-host, is that you win with your hands all the time. And I think edge defenders, yeah, but- you know, people flock to guys that are ex- excellent athletes. You know, the Jadavian Clowney. Yeah of the world, mm-hmm. but guys who can win with pass rush moves, win with hands really mm-hmm. do, you know, take my attention. I think the NFL jumps at those guys as well, because you see so few pass rushers come out of college with legitimate move sets. You're seeing it down there at the mm-hmm. senior bowl. Now guys right. don't have counters. Like these guys, these guys are only rushing with pure speed have only beat guys with speed. And now you actually have to learn moves. How much right. and Ngakwe do you watch? Cause your cross chop is up there with the best in, in college football. And I know Ngakwe's kind of got that mastered.
2: Definitely, man. I love his game, man. He, he just, he don't got too many moves. He just stays with the basics, just gets to the quarterback, really. You beat the hands, you beat the man, really. So. Oh, I he's, like that. I love it. I love it. I
0: think that's great. Yeah, you beat the hands, like, you beat the man. And also, I mean, you're you're an athlete yourself, man. Former four star. Right. I know your brother is too. I want to talk about him Definitely. a little bit, but you're oh, yeah. you're an athlete yeah. down there working in Exos. I know in high school, what yet what 340 pound power clean, you know, squatting yeah. over five hundred pounds. Uh mm-hmm. what, what are you specifically working on right now in Exos? Because I know there's no combine, but I'm sure you're gonna do some testing either at a pro day at Georgia or whatever it may be.
2: Yeah, really just uh working on the burst, the four for 40. The shuttle and the L drill, stuff like that. The vertical, you know, the basic combine drills and stuff. Just, just mm-hmm. making sure I up those numbers and be ready to uh, perform. Actually, yeah. I-
0: I asked, uh, you know, I asked Tristan Worfs, so the offensive tackle for the box in the process. What mm-hmm. do you think? Which combine drill do you think best represents or is more, most representative of like actually being good on the football field? Specifically at his yeah. position, he's like broad jump because you have to be explosive. You cannot right, afford true. to go to the NFL and not be explosive. For pass right. rusher, I know three cone is big. People want to see bend. People want to see lateral
2: quickness. Where do, you, right. or,
0: or, do you have a feeling for like what combine drill you put the most stock in for your position?
2: I'd probably say the broad to see how explosive you are, too. Broad, mm-hmm. three-cone for sure, and probably the vert.
0: Yeah. Ten-yard
2: split, two is growing in popularity. JR I know that one's 40. a big one. Um, yeah. yeah let,
0: let's talk about your brother a little bit. So, for those who don't know, yeah. you have a younger brother, what, true freshman, I think, at uh, LSU. LSU. Uh, former four-star, LSU. former five-star. Let's call it what it is. Who's better? Mm-hmm. Aziz Ojolari uh, or BJ Ojolari?
2: <laughs> I got to go be.
0: <laughs> oh, I mean, this is this right is the now. next coming of the the Bosa brothers, if you will. Yeah, I mean, you know, Ojulari sure. and BJ Ojulari are coming to the NFL looking to compete for That's the crown serious. for the best sibling right. pass rushers, for sure. Um, so when I talk to uh, I talked to Quitty Pay recently, the other Michigan edge defender in this class, mm-hmm. I have talked to um, Jalen Phillips here and there, the Miami, Florida, trying to get him yeah. on the podcast as well. I talk about you know the, the edge defender is a lot like corner. And that you need to watch a ton of tape on the guys you go against. It's a, it's a chess match right. in a lot of ways. You need to see how they win. Do they use their hands? Do they shoot early? Do they overstep? All that type of stuff right. is so important. In a given game week, how much film are you watching on your opposition? How much film are you watching on that tackle you're going to go against?
2: Yeah, I usually watch film every day after the practice of that week. and As soon as that game is over, that Sunday I'm on the film on the next opponent we got. I'm usually watching it throughout the whole week after practice every day on my iPad, just making sure – you know, and working things that I will definitely like will work in the game on Saturday. That I know little tendencies I find for him that I can use and practice throughout the week and use that on Saturday against the uh, opponent I'm going against. So I feel like that pretty it really helped me a lot definitely. Do you ever turn on
0: the do you ever turn on the film for yourself? Do like self scouting, look at where you had some successes against certain guys, kind of work at your moves.
2: Oh yeah, definitely definitely do that after each game. Definitely look at what I could do to improve, what I could do better in this play, this that if is my drop, is my step, hand usage, hand placement. Definitely do that after the game.
0: I want to talk about some of the tackles you've gone against in your career. Playing in the SEC, not all of them mm-hmm. are that backup Cincinnati tackle. You play against some dogs yeah, as well. Right. And I think you had Definitely. so some of the guys that you went against this year, Stone Forsythe, the Florida left mm-hmm. tackle. You also had Alex Leatherwood of Alabama. Yeah. Even, even James Hudson, the guy that did start for Cincinnati, he's down there at right. the Senior Bowl in this draft class. You've gone against some very good offensive tackles. Who are some of the guys that gave you the most fits? Because you beat them all. You had one of the most productive yeah. seasons of any pass rusher, according to PFF. But who gave you some mm-hmm. of the most fits?
2: Uh, I'll probably say Stole Side was one of them. Yeah. And, uh, Leatherwood gave me a little bit. You <laughs> beat with the
0: cross chop too, though. There's that yeah, highlight yeah, that yeah, hits yeah, Twitter, man. <laughs> and he's got Definitely 35 inch arms. I mean, that guy, oh, yeah, right. you, you beat his arm hands, arm. he yeah. loses nine times he's out of ten. Arm. He's got, he's got some hands, man. He's, he's got some arm, arm really length long. for sure. But you've also, you didn't even bring up this guy, Andrew Thomas. 2018? I mean, oh, 2019, yeah. you're going against man,
2: Thomas. Man, <laughs> that was a battle, man. I love going against because you just know he's going to bring it every time. He's a competitor, mm-hmm. so I love it. So am I. So. Man, those, those matches, man, you get, you get down, man. You yeah, I mean, he was
0: was he was the first tackle off the board for a reason, man. Andrew Thomas, Definitely. PFF was big on Andrew Thomas coming out. Definitely. I think he gets a lot better in year two Definitely. as well. Some other Georgia sure. teammates I wanted to bring up, because you got some dogs that are going into, you know, this draft class, considered to draft highly. Tyson Campbell, oh, yeah. outside cornerback, oh, yeah. former five-star, absolute no. monster at American Heritage Definitely. High School there with Patrick Sertan. And then Eric Stokes, former track he star spoke. that also played well sure. at corner. Um Talk to me about those two guys and how good that defense was on the back end because of those quarterback prospects.
2: Yeah, definitely, man. The defense was great. You start with them really. If you great coverage equals sacks for us. So <laughs> if they could cover, we can get to the quarterback. So they, they did their thing. Definitely. Both of those tracks they're they so fast. Like, like, man, those guys' speed is different. Is he mm-hmm. Like, and they're long. So it's just it's just great having them on our team, really.
0: I I have to bring this up because I've talked to a handful of Georgia defensive linemen in the time I've been, you know, interviewing prospects and those things. I think it was Mm -hmm. John Ledbetter, the former Georgia defensive tackle. And he he told me in practice at Georgia, he, he better not have been lying to me. You guys you guys play against the run all the time. You guys practice against the run Definitely. and play run defense all the time. And there's these practices Always. that he said were like called like blood days or some crazy bloody shit Tuesday. like that. Bloody yep. Tuesdays. Bloody That's Tuesday. what it was. Talk to me. Walk yep. me through a bloody Tuesday because John did it, and now uh, I need to hear your your take on it as well.
2: I mean, it's just really just the the, the most physical practice throughout the week, <laughs> basically Tuesday. We get it in. We hitting each other every day, every, almost every play, really. Everything we do is physical that day just to get us ready for the Saturday game. So, it's we just, well, we do a lot of hitting, hitting drills, team run. You hitting an Indy, you know, we linebackers, we're going to hit an Indy. Mm-hmm. just get you warmed up. Fastball starts. We hit, we thudding. Everything we do, we are going to thud. You're going to thud that day for sure. That's awesome, man.
0: Well, I want to finish with this. I like to finish interviews, you know, asking these kind of two specific questions. You know, what do you, what do you, what is the team getting? in Aziz Ojulari, kind of your elevator pitch on what you're getting, and and why are you so motivated to play the game? I think asking people why they're motivated to go to the lengths that you do to play in the NFL, to go the distance, to watch the film, to work on your body like you are. What what are they getting, and why are you doing it?
2: Definitely a team player. You're gonna get a hard work, dedicated player that's willing to do whatever for the team and get better. And just always just ball really just own my craft and work hard and everything I do really put it all for the team. And I'm really doing this for my parents and my family, my little brother. He looked up to me. So you gotta set the way, set a path for him as a leader, you know. So just doing it for the family, really love
0: you, love them all. So You set a path for BJ. He's going to take over, man. It's going to be like TJ Watt <laughs> versus JJ Watt here pretty soon. Yeah. You better be careful, man. That BJ Ogilari kid at LSU is damn good. Oh, yeah. He's
2: a dog. Yes, sir. <laughs>
0: I, I appreciate you, Aziz. And I wish you the best of luck moving forward.
2: Thank you very much. Appreciate that.
0: I love that Aziz Ogilari is so big on and Ngakwe because you comped him to Yannick Ngakwe in the guide and I brought it up because the dude wins with the cross chop constantly. Like, he is Big on the cross chop. And the other thing too is super funny dude, super nice guy that I feel like he's got he's got some good character for sure. And I think the fact that he has the tools and he's already winning with like complex moves. You called him one of the more advanced pass rushers in the class.
1: Is he this guy that seeks into the back end of the first round? Where do you see him? Right I, I'd be hard pressed to see him not go in the first round. I think teams are getting more used to body types like that on the edge and realizing that, you know, maybe he's not gonna be all world run defender but we'll take, we'll take a guy that can rush. He did best. say he's better than his brother, too.
0: His younger brother, the four-star. Uh, he's going to be true good. True freshman. Though. B.J. Uchilari is damn good. They yeah. said they're coming for the crown. They're coming for the Bosa crown. They think they can win it. Or the T.J. Watt, J.J. Watt crown.
1: Down. Who knows? I was going to say, I think the Watts own that still. The Watts a probably tough, do own that. A I
0: heard there's some rumors that We might see J.J. Watt traded to Pittsburgh trying to get the Watt brothers together. Turn the wattage up. Who who knows? Um, That's going to do it for this episode of 2 for 1 Drafts. Remember, if you want to leave a mailbag question, leave it in the reviews. We have a ton this week. We're going to continue to get to them, but leave a five-star review with your question for the mailbag podcast. We are no longer giving out draft guides, and here's why. We're making an update to it on Monday. I don't want to give out a draft guide and then add 50 players to it without you, but I will say this. When we do make that update... We're going to open it back up again. We're going to open it up to some draft guides, leave a five star review, and DM me a screenshot of it. And we will give out a free draft guide as soon as Monday when the new guide comes out. But until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, two for one drafts.